Psalm 27, we get to this psalm, and I almost feel like, you know what? If I can just have you guys read this psalm over and over again, right, that I, I really feel like it will speak uh, to you. It's, it's, it's one of those psalms that um, it's, it's very real, right? It, it's, it's a psalm that we can identify with, the, the prayers we can identify with. Um, and so, yeah, in some ways, I, I feel like my task is just to help us to go through this psalm, to, to just spend a few minutes today looking at it. Uh, finding our confidence and trust uh, in the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I think the psalm breaks down into a few parts here. Some people have written about how it seems to be two different psalms. You know, you've got this first part of the psalm, which is very confident. It's the, the psalmist. I, and, and the psalm is attributed to, to David, King David, uh, where he's very confident in God. He, and he proclaims that confidence. He makes these very bold statements of confidence. You know, whom uh, shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid of? Right? And then you get to the, the, the latter half of the psalm, and it really turns almost into uh, a psalm of lament. Uh, you know, you... You know, do not forsake me. I've been forsaken, but you do not forsake me. But we'll look at that, and I, I don't necessarily think it has to be looked at that way. I think maybe because David is so confident in the Lord, and because of that confidence, then he can come before him and make these heartfelt prayers and earnest pleas. Um, and, and then at the end, there's this exhortation. He reminds himself then um, to trust, to be strong, and to wait um, patiently on the Lord. And that's what we're going to just look at in a little more depth today. So, you know, let's try to turn to Psalm 27 this morning. Growing up, I think I had, now that I look back on, on my childhood, I think I had an unreasonable fear of spiders. Uh, and I don't know if if you're like that, I saw a few smiles as soon as I said. I saw some of you turning to your spouses. Maybe, you know, there's some of this also going on in your households. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know what it is. Like cockroaches, grasshoppers, those kinds of things, crickets. Most insects really didn't get to me. But spiders, man, I just, I don't like the way they look. I, you know, if I'm walking and I walk, it, like, into a spider web and it would get into my hair or something, you know, it's, oh, yeah, I don't like the, the feel of it, and, um, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that still, even in my uh, little bit of advanced age, uh, <laughs> right, that I still have a little bit of, you know, I, it's definitely nothing like my childhood, but, uh, you know, if, if there's a spider in the house, I still prefer if my wife's around and she'll just kind of like, uh, she has absolutely zero fear of spiders. I mean, she'll kill it with her fingers, you know, like just pick it up and squash it and then, you know, and, and she's done. I'm like, hey, hey, wash your hands at least, you know, that's, um, and, and you know, it's, it's funny and it's not that big. I saw a big ferocious looking black spider in our yard a few weeks ago. Really, it looked deadly, like it could just kill you by staring at you. Uh, and I sprayed so much pesticide in our backyard, do not walk around my house for a few weeks. I, I think the fumes alone. You know, in life, there are fears that we have. And sometimes, you know, the fears as we uh, advance in maturity or age, sometimes they change. Um, but it seems like life is full of things that cause us stress, anxiety, uh, things that cause us to maybe not sleep well at night, maybe things that we're thinking of, 
Sometimes it's related to financial things. You know, sometimes it's related to relational things. Sometimes it's related to work things. Sometimes it's the uncertainty of what's ahead, uh, uncertainty of the future. But there's definitely fear for most of us at any given moment, any given stage of our lives. We get to Psalm 27 this morning, and the psalmist, I think, is facing something that is causing him great fear. And as the psalmist reflects and thinks about, or maybe, you know, like you and I sometimes, is awake <laughs> and led to be awake, there's this great reminder at the beginning, all right, what am I doing? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So I think if you look at that beginning, maybe it gives us a hint. You know, some people have tried to figure out what stage of David's life and historically, all right, what, you know, it doesn't, to me it doesn't matter. You know, but I think clearly there are people in his life that is causing him some great difficulties, hardships, struggles. And he's like, all right, I've got on my side the Lord. And he uses a few metaphors here. He says, first, the Lord is my light. Okay, the Lord is my light. And if you think about it, what is often uh, the symbol or metaphor for danger, for hardship? It's darkness. Right? It's darkness. Darkness is all that represents things that are bad. And particularly, if you go back, way, way, way back, when they didn't have, you know, I mean, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have the kinds of lights and cities and things like that. I mean, for light, there would be candles, and the candles, it's not the same. You know, it doesn't give off the same kind of light. But uh, you know, and so, in the idea of of this darkness, then representing. Trouble or darkness representing evil, darkness representing danger. You have this picture of the Lord being the light. It just shines in that darkness. It cuts through the darkness. It brings to light maybe what was hidden. Maybe what could not be seen. The Lord is my salvation. Is a simple picture of victory. All right. Of deliverance. And so then together, when you put those together, my light and my salvation, essentially it's this idea that God will bring victory, that God will bring help, that God will bring relief, that God will cover his people with his blessings. God is also pictured here as the stronghold of my life. And stronghold is that place of safety, that place of protection. It's a place where, you know, you cannot be hurt. It's a place where you cannot be harmed. It's a place where if you feel unsafe, you feel danger, you feel risk, you feel that stress like I cannot rest here, I, I can't sleep here. And, you know, I've talked to people. People have shared with me um, personal experiences where they could not sleep. They, one eye was open because they were afraid, fearful of their lives. Well, stronghold is that place where, you know, if, if you're struggling to sleep because you're afraid for your life, well, a stronghold is a place where maybe after many restless nights, maybe after night after night of not having that peace and that rest, you're finally able to just say, you know what? I can close both my eyes. 
I can sleep, nothing will happen to me here. And the psalmist, David, is saying that the Lord is that place for him. You know, that place where he doesn't have to worry about anyone harming him, anyone touching him. So he asks those two questions. If the Lord is my light, if the Lord is my salvation, if the Lord is my stronghold, then really, whom shall I fear? When the wicked advance against me, verse 2. And, you know, it's, it's not like wicked people who are just wicked and they've got no desire to hurt you. No, their plan is to devour Their plan is to devastate, to harm. Well, if the Lord is my light, if the Lord is my stronghold, and if if the Lord is my salvation, then I don't have to worry because it's actually they who will stumble and fall. They actually need to worry. They're the ones who should be stressing out. Because technically then, they're trying to go against whom? The Lord. So because of that, and it seems like if you, if you look at that, it seems like verse 2 is a statement of confidence based on past events, on past things that he's seen, that he's witnessed. And so he gets to verse 3, and it's now it's like because of what he's seen in the past, he can even, uh, it's almost like a hypothetical situation, but it's not like an impossible hypothetical, but something that could happen because this is David. He's a king. And he's saying even if armies would, against, would, would come out, Against me. All right? Even if an army, even if war breaks out against me, well, I really have nothing to fear. Even in that situation, I will be confident. So he takes that statement of confidence to the next level of saying, it's not just what I'm going through today. It's not just what I've seen in the past. It's to the level of even if there is something else thrown at me, something more fierce, something more terrible, something more difficult, even then I have nothing to fear. So I think that first three verses kind of sets the tone, all right? It, it's a reminder, it's, it's almost like David is reminding himself, the psalmist is reminding of himself of who's on his side, of who the Lord is, of why he can trust him, of why he ought to place his confidence in him. And since the Lord is that kind of Lord, then he's going to come with this very heartfelt prayer. It's kind of like, you know, we, we don't ask help of people that we know can't help us. If we know they're not able to help us, you know, have you ever gone shopping somewhere and you ask them a question about a, a product and you realize, you know what, I think I know more than them. So right away, you know, I'm just trying to end the conversation, right? Sometimes it happens when you're like at, I don't want to name names, but certain retail stores and you're asking about a certain TV or a certain camera. And, you know, because of the Internet, you've done all your research and you go and you, I don't know why, but you ask a qu- simple question. It's almost like you're testing the salesperson. Right? Does he also do research? And right away you're like, all right, I can't ask him anything else. You got to find someone who has greater authority, greater knowledge. Well, David is coming to the one who has all power, all strength. And here's what his prayer is going to be, all right? So that's the second part of this uh, psalm. His prayer is going to start with this. One thing have I asked of the Lord. 
one thing that I'm going to seek after. And so I think it's a great beginning to the prayer because it really, um, it, it's like this focus. There's this single-minded effort, single-heartedness maybe. You, I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> but above everything, what is it that he desires? To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Now, you might want to just think of this as a future reality. And, and then if, if you look at it that way, then you think, oh, then really what he desires is heaven. He just wants to make it to heaven. But I don't think when you read this psalm, and even when you read verse 4 a couple times, he doesn't really be seeming to, he's not talking about this future, all right, I'm, I'm placing all my hopes in heaven and that's all I hope for. Obviously, someone who prays like this does have hope in the future deliverance and salvation, but really he's talking about today. All the days of my life. He's talking about his current life. And so his desire to dwell in the house of the Lord today, it's a, it's a statement that what? He wants to go to the sanctuary, to the temple, to the presence of the Lord, to the house of the Lord. It's a reference, reference to the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, to the place of worship. Okay? In the time of difficulty in a time of trouble in a time where of fear for him where where does he turn to what is his single most greatest desire well it's to go to the house of the lord now why would that be his greatest longing he says i want to go there all right to do what second half of verse 4 to do what to gaze upon the beauty of the lord now that's a phrase that maybe has maybe never been something you've uttered, <laughs> right? Maybe that's not a prayer that you've said before. Oh, Lord, I want to go. The one thing I ask is to go to your house, to go to your temple, to go to church, and to gaze upon the beauty uh, of the Lord. Well, let's, let's, let's dig into this. You know, back in those days, there seemed to be a very real experience for the people of God as they came to the temple. Okay. It was a physical place. It was a building that they had hoped for for many years, for generations. A place where God would come and meet them. And the temple was a place where, you know, the, the, the holy of holies, the most holy place was a place where you're like, man, the presence of God is so real, so powerful uh, that you would not enter into it. Even, even the high priest would enter into it with a rope tied to his waist uh, and bells tied to his ankles so that just in case the presence of the Lord was so powerful and he died, you would hear the bells ring as he fell to the ground and you could just pull him out with the rope. There was something very real about that place. And because of that realness, um, C.S. Lewis says, uh, as he would describe it then, that they had a longing to go to Jerusalem. They had this very real longing to go there, to appear before the presence of God. And it was like this physical thirst. It was a physical longing that they had. 
From Jerusalem, his presence flashes out in perfect beauty. Lacking that encounter with him, their souls are parched like a waterless countryside. They crave to be satisfied with the pleasures of his house. Only there can they be at ease like a bird in a nest. One day of those pleasures is better than a lifetime spent elsewhere. And much of the Psalms describe that physical thirst and longing for the presence in the house of the Lord. Well, today, it's it's obviously different for us. Even with Christ, he said, look, we worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about the physical temple in Jerusalem. It's about the spiritual church of Jesus Christ. But yet, maybe what we need to do today is maybe we need to be reminded or maybe we need to understand a little bit more of what this psalmist is talking about here. To have that longing for God's presence. To long for God's church his house to long to worship him you know to gaze upon the beauty of God you know that stood in direct contrast to what the pagan people were doing at that time because what they would do was they would build these beautiful statues out of gold it's amazing to look at you know, in my life, uh, in my short life, some of the most beautiful things I've seen to the eye have been temples and false idols. Some of these buildings are hundreds of years old, and they're set in really idyllic settings, and you've got this just amazing picture of beauty. And the idols that have been built and placed in those temples are also amazing to behold. And so for pagan people back then, it was very easy to come to these places and to look upon these beautiful statues and then to say, you know what, I, oh, I long to gaze upon these types of things. And today, I think, you know, it's, it's totally different for us today. I mean, you know, not many of us really have that kind of physical longing to gaze upon beautiful statues. But if you think about it, you know, I think the success of Instagram, the success of Yelp. Someone told me, look, Yelp is successful not because of the reviews. It's the pictures. You look at the pictures and you're like, wow, I want to eat that. It looks so good. That we, you know, maybe we'll look at the stars, maybe we'll kind of skim through the reviews, or I don't know, maybe you're someone who will read everything, right? All 4,500 reviews, right? But more often than not, it's the pictures. Instagram is the pictures. I mean, I follow, I follow a lot of different vacation type Instagram accounts. And every day I see about five or six different places in the world. I go, wow, I'd love to see that place one day. You know, it's easy for us to, um, to gaze upon the beauty of something, isn't it? But you see, to gaze upon the beauty of God is very different because God is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical body. So it's not like you can come to church and I can just say, all right, today all we're going to do is let's gaze upon God. All right, everybody, let's turn right here. Let's look upon God. 
it's different. So this idea of gazing upon the beauty of God is a powerful thing because I think it's more powerful because it's not looking with our physical eyes, but instead it's seeing the goodness of God in our lives. It's seeing his graciousness to his people. It's seeing what God has done. It's that spiritual eyesight. But once you see, it's a beauty that goes beyond anything in this world. It's a beauty that makes diamonds and the best beaches in the world and the most delicious looking hamburgers all pale in comparison. If there was an Instagram account that could somehow capture the beauty of God in a picture, oh, that would be an amazing account. But you can't. So the only so the, so the place to, to see that beauty is going to be the temple of God because that's where you hear about what God has done. It's where you're reminded about his love for you and I. It's where you're reminded about his graciousness, his mercy, his kindness. It's that reminder that allows you to see the beauty of God. So instead of seeing everything that's going wrong and instead of seeing the things that cause us to be anxious, instead of seeing the things that cause us to be sad or hurt or pained, look, these are normal responses for human beings. You and I ought to be hurt by certain things that happen in our lives. We ought to be fearful when we face enemies. But sometimes our gaze needs to be taken from those things and those people and it needs to be placed on God. Amen. To see how wonderful he is to you and I. He's beautiful because we are a people who don't deserve his goodness. In fact, not only do we not deserve his goodness, we've rejected his goodness. And yet he still pours it out into our lives. That's beautiful. God's perfection. And that is something that sometimes we need to focus our attention, our hearts, our minds on. It's the wonders of God. And those wonders, those wonders of God will satisfy. You know, you, 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 know, you know, that website Upworthy and people post all kinds of things on Facebook from, you know, these touching commercials made in Thailand. Oh, they do a great job, right, of making these 18-minute commercials for a bank, right? It's, and it's like, it's like, wow, do they actually show these commercials on TV? I don't know. I mean, it'd, be, it'd be very interesting, right? Long commercial break. <laughs> awesome. They're, they're done so well. And th- I'll admit there have been times almost moved to tears. But, you know, sometimes we get on that, oh, man, the, there's these, you know, even YouTube has a category for the, those kinds of videos now. It's funny. You know, when you're on YouTube, click on what to watch. I won't tell you what that category is named. It's very interesting. But they have a category for videos that will lift your soul. You know what? Turn to the wonders of God. Right? 
Because if you do that, then we can understand what this psalmist, what David is saying here. When he's saying, the one thing I need, the one thing I desire, the one thing I have to have is to come into your presence and be reminded of that. To see your beauty, to gaze upon that. Because then I can inquire in his temple. I can ask of you. I can make my requests. Verse 5, he is the one, all right? Who is able to hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He is the one who is able to conceal me under the cover of his tent. He is the one who will lift me high upon a rock. You see, he wants to, David, the psalmist wants to come to the house of the Lord because he realizes God is the one who can protect him. Verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melodies. Look, the third reason why he wants to come to the house of the Lord, why this is his greatest desire, right? The first is because he can be reminded of how wonderful God is, this gaze upon the beauty. The second reason he wants to come and this is the greatest desire is because the Lord can protect him and will protect him. But the third is because for and this is, I think, very important. He wants to celebrate. Isn't that something we all desire? I feel like we're all looking for a reason to celebrate. We're looking for a birthday. We're looking for a graduation. We're looking for a wedding. We're looking for a milestone where maybe we can say, you know what, there's all these hard things going on in my life. I just need a day to celebrate something good. Well, David, the psalmist says, man, you can come to the house of the Lord and you can sing. You can celebrate. You can praise him because God has given us victory. It's a chance to be reminded of the victory in your life. You know, life is not this cosmic battle of good and evil. It's not Star Wars. It's not who will win. It's not which force is greater. The victory has already been won, amen. And so you can come to church and you can celebrate that victory. Sometimes I, I feel a little bit bad for our worship team. Because sometimes they come up here and I can tell they want to lead the church in celebrating. But many times we sit or we stand and what are we thinking of? Not about the things we ought to be celebrating, the victory that God has given us, the life that God has given us. But it's hard sometimes to forget all the things that are causing us fear and anxiety and stress. And so it's hard to have that celebration. You know what? I challenge you guys. I challenge myself to do this because it's hard for me. Man, if there's a chance to stand and to sing to the Lord and to praise him, this is one of the reasons why you are, uh, are supposed to long coming. Uh, yeah, I'm too excited. I'm getting hit. Uh, you know. blah, 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 blah. This is one of the reasons why we're supposed to be excited about coming to church is that chance to sing. It's like going to a Lakers game, well, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, you get a chance to scream. I mean, I've never seen such joy as the joy I've seen when Robert Ory hit that three, when Derek Fisher hit that shot. I mean, when Kobe made that alley-oop to Shaq down from 17. Bam, I felt, I heard the whole neighborhood scream. And I love being a part of that experience. Well, church, you get to do that every time you come. Amen. And it's greater than the sports victory. I mean, this is the victory over Satan, over sin, over evil. Man, we got to be a part of that and long for that. Sheesh. I made it to verse 6. <laughs> I don't know. Pastor Steve might not be happy. 
you know, real quick. <laughs> he, he says a few things, and there's a few things he prays for. And, and I think, I just want to cover it real quick because for me, I identify really with what David prays for here. You know, verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. David wants simply to be heard, right? And isn't that one of our greatest desires? We want someone to listen. We want someone to understand. We want someone to know what we're going through. And David comes before God and he says, Lord, hear me. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And that's a little, a little bit weird for us to think about. We're like, what? You're, you know, seeking the Lord's face. The Lord doesn't even have a face. Well, you know, that really goes back to Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 6, uh, we're not going to shoot it up here. I just want you to listen to this. The Lord says to Moses, look, this is how you're going to bless my people. This is how you're going to bless the Israelites. Just listen to this. This is what you're going to say to them. This is going to be the benediction. This is how you're going to end every Lord's Day, Sabbath worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That was the benediction that God's people would hear over and over and over again. And it was this idea of the Lord's countenance shining upon you, of his graciousness, of his blessings, of his protection, of his peace coming upon you. So if the Lord was turning his face away from you, that means he was forsaking you. He was rejecting you. And so when David says here, look, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. It's a cry to the Lord saying, Lord, you are the, my only hope. You're the one who can give me peace. You're the one who can bless me. You're the one who can protect me. Do not turn away from me. Cast me not away. Verse 9. Turn not your servant away in anger. I think it's this realization that what we deserve is for God to forsake us. What we deserve, what we earned is for God to say, ah, you know, I gave you many chances. Right? He turned his back on us. But the reason why we're here today is that God doesn't turn his back on us, does he? And the reason why he doesn't turn his back towards us and why he still shines his countenance upon us is because whom did he turn his back upon? On the cross, who cried out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It was Jesus Christ. That was the moment when God actually did to his own son. Right? What David is praying, God, please do not do this to me. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. It's desire, Lord, teach me, show me, guide me. Give me a level path, which means free of obstacles, all right? Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. This is a prayer, prayer for protection, all right? Deliver me, help me, save me. And then verse 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Land of the living is a phrase for what? 
our life today. So he says, look, I know God will look upon me with his goodness. And it's going to be while I'm alive. God will hear me. God will answer me. God will deliver me. God will help me. And it's going to be in my life. But sometime in my life. So I don't know exactly when. So verse 14, wait for the Lord. Amen. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Be courageous. Let your heart have that courage. So wait for the Lord. That's what I'll conclude with today. This exhortation. To turn to the Lord who is able to protect, to deliver, to save, to be that light in your darkness. Make your requests to him. Turn to him. Ask for confidence. Desire his presence. Look for his beauty. Gaze upon him. Celebrate the victory that he's given to us. But, you know, ask for help. And then wait for him. Wait for him to answer you. Wait for him to help you. It's not a weak waiting. It's a strong, you know, it's in strength, in confidence, in hope, in trust, waiting with your heart. He does hear us. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for Psalm 27 and the truth found in this psalm and the teachings found here. And Lord, we confess that often we are a fearful people, that there are many things that cause us to be anxious, to be stressed, to lose sleep, to lose hope, to lose trust sometimes. But would you remind us every day of your gospel, of your love for us, your goodness and your beauty. We thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.